This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. I just threw everything in, Tim. Entropy. I mean, what a concept to describe our lives. Men, to a large extent, are horrible and stupid. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? We have a debut novel in front of us today. It is Decoherence by Chris Kirkham. Chris, thank you for joining us on the Books Podcast. Hey, a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Let's clear up one detail before we start. A couple of years ago, we talked to one Tom Kirkham about his memoir, Pop Life. Uh, apparently, it was it was actually he who drew my attention to, to your novel, Cards on the Table, Relationship. Yeah, well, Tom is my son, and he's, he's writing something else. And um, until this pandemic came along, he was actually in negotiations um, with a publisher. But obviously, publishing is um, you know, sort of um, on the shelf at the moment, especially for small publishers. So, Decoherence, subtitle, A Quantum Whodunit. Uh, and that, that's highly significant. Our hero, Sirius Peabody, is a theoretical physicist, um, and you are not, in fact, a theoretical physicist. Are you just showing off? There is an element of showing off. There's an element that I studied literature at university and for most of my adult life read the great classics, uh, the great rubbish, um, a lot of history, a bit of philosophy, and, and you know, the kind of typical liberal arts reading list that a liberal arts student and a journalist, as I am by profession, would read. A lot of politics as well was in there. Guardian reader, the kind of thing, uh, the kind of books and films that Guardian uh, recommends. Recently, four or five years ago, through a a process almost of osmosis, I found myself reading lots of books about physics, in particular quantum physics. I mean, I read 20 to 30 books, and as I was reading them and, and trying to grapple with the concepts that, that lay therein, the idea of writing something that expressed a long-held ambition to write a novel, but also brought out this, this feeling that I have that, you know, physics explains everything. You know, whether you're a, a determinist, a behavioralist, um, a scientist, a, a religious person, or whatever, physics, broadly speaking, has an answer for most of it. And we have become accustomed to thinking of life in terms of liberal arts, metaphors. You know, uh, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Whereas why not shall I compare thee to a neutrino uh, generated by fusion within the heart of a star? So I just getting ideas that physics, and as I keep saying, quantum physics lies at the heart, not just of the physical world, but our experience of it. And I just wanted to give it a go. So yeah, there's a bit of showing off. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, was that the big idea for the book? And uh, clearly it was, because Peabody thinks that we should all be uh, more familiar with quantum physics than we are. Um, and I, 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 well, I think he, he, he might have a point. So the, the, the basis of the book is that Peabody's professional way of looking at the world would be the way that he, evokes, he uh, approached the investigation. Not only does he use the language of quantum physics to uh, spice up the prose and the dialogue, but the actual understanding, the things that you've been looking at for five years, also governs the way that he sees the mystery. I, I, th I think you pull this off quite effectively. I wonder, do you think that the theoretical physics might be a barrier to any of the readers? Do you know, one of the editors who was going through the process of taking out all the typos in my book um, actually put a note to the publisher who'd accepted it and said, um, do you think there might not be a bit too much physics? <laughs> and, should, and should we get a, a scientist to proofread it? It would have been a much and, shorter book. <laughs> yeah. And um, my publisher, Lisa Wallace, um, sent me an email saying, uh, I don't know what you think about this. In my view, there's just enough physics to make it a book that you could arguably say has a large, large amount of quantum physics in it. And do you think the science holds up? My reply was, you would kill it if you took the physics out because you would kill the main character and his worldview and secondly, I am reasonably confident within the bounds of scientific discovery, which is going on all the time, that the physics holds up. And I did take a great deal of care in the descriptions of quantum processes to make sure that at the time of writing, that was broadly speaking the general view. I don't claim that it's you know, that every physicist in the country would say, oh, yeah, you know, Kirkham's got that bang on, you know. But um, I do claim that the, the, the general thrust of the ideas underlying these concepts is as accurate as I could possibly, as a layman, make them. Well, as it, as it happens, I've had much the same experience as you had, which is a lifetime of not really understanding anything and then getting very interested in, you know, quantum physics again over the past five years or so. So, and, and I was very happy with uh, with it. I think you know a little bit more of it than me, but I I I wasn't I wasn't unhappy with any of it. That said, and and I, we we run the risk of suggesting that it's incredibly dense and difficult, which it isn't. In fact, it the book is great fun. It's very funny, and it rattles along. It's it's in 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 some way, except for the the substrate of of uh, physics, it, it's a pretty old fashioned. Uh, murder mystery. It's in fact, it, it looks back to the the golden age of murder mysteries, doesn't it? It's a, um, it's got a heightened cast list. It's got lively dialogue, which I I think you worked quite hard on, and also there is a who done it. Uh, there's there's there you know there is a a a killer who we know. He's a character we already know by the end of it. Uh, so it, it it there's no cheating in that way. Um, you set out to write a, a fun, a fun old-fashioned whodunit as well. Well, that was many years ago. Um, a friend of mine and I decided that the way to make a large amount of money was to write a traditional thriller 
or a whodunit that had, you know, 10 chapters, uh, a mini climax at the end of every chapter, probably with a body involved, and a final chapter in which the Poirot figure gathers all the suspects together and goes through them one at a time before the big reveal at the end. Um, my friend and I <laughs> failed abjectly to agree on any aspect of <laughs> plot, character, who did it, male, female, detective, or anything. Um, but it's an idea that had kind of stuck with me, you know, as an exercise. I've read Agatha Christie, I've read Morse, I've read all of them, you know, and the ability to actually surprise you at any point is something that I think they they really succeed at. You can say that Christie's characters are ciphers. You can say that Morse is far too grumpy and unhappy in love and, and whatever, but they still have this ability to surprise. Now, when I was writing it as a whodunit, the hardest part is trying to figure out who did it and um, the techniques that I employ, um, I see as sleight of hand. I, Whenever I felt that I was getting either too close to giving too much away or too far away from the plot, I tried to throw in distractions involving the characters and as I threw those distractions in, the novel sort of bulked up. So, you know, the, um, the, there's a visit to one of my favorite places on Earth, which is Nice. Which um, is also one of uh, Sirius's favorite places on Earth. Yes. I mean, I, I was assuming you were going to ask me a question later on in this interview about <laughs> um, the, the main character and the autobiographical element. But w what I would say is that I threw that in as a distraction to try and lure people away from actually thinking could that person have done it? Could that person have done it? And try and lure them into a, you know, a nice little sideline. But it's still fundamentally, yeah, you know, six, seven or eight characters, murder, suspects, who did it, you know? And um, I, I tried to make it funny. I mean, I wanted it to be funny. Uh, well, I was going to, well, it's, it's, it is funny, yes. Good. <laughs> But you also want to make make it fun. Uh, you, you, you've got a, a cast list with a whole bunch of fruity names. You've got Sirius Peabody and and Eleanor Woodcote and Vernon Godlim and and they, so again, you've uh, you, you you know you've set it largely in a university. There's a, there's a sort of touch of the Malcolm Bradburys or David Lodges there as well. You're, you're looking back as well to all these um, templates. Yes, I took a great deal of trouble over the names and. Um, really enjoyed myself in conjuring them up. So Godling is a reference to uh, the Higgs boson, which um, Peter Higgs got a Nobel Prize for several years ago, and it's known as the God particle. So I, I, I put that character in. Moriarty is obviously a steel... And she's, a, she's a professor, Moriarty. <laughs> she's a yeah, professor of physics. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, um, I enjoyed that. Uh, Bronte, the Bronte sisters, um, Eleanor Woodcote is, you know, Jane Austen, obviously, Eleanor from uh, Sense and Sensibility and Woodhouse from Emma Woodhouse. Um, John Walk is, <laughs> was this very odd-looking Ipswich town footballer from the 70s whose name just happens to rhyme with Quark. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed putting, um, I enjoyed the names, Bartlesby. Um, yeah, there are loads of references. I just threw everything in, Tim. I, I, I tended to throw in all the things that over the years have interested me in, in all areas, you know, so aspects of my own personality and my own uh, tendency to rant about certain things, um, I love the notion of an unreliable narrator. Um, Although he which... does, he does insist that he is a reliable narrator, and then later on um, concedes that perhaps he's not. Yes, but that's about the technique of novel writing, isn't it? How much do you reveal, and how much do you hide? And uh, you know, obviously, that the, the greatest unreliable narrator is probably. Um, in in the death of Roger Ackroyd. Um, but the one that makes me almost weep with laughter is is in The Good Soldier. Um, you know, I mean, that man is such an idiot that um, I, I burst out laughing when I read um, The Good Soldier. And I just had these ideas, you know, they were just buzzing around. And, and in the end, I just thought... You know, throw them in. You touched earlier on um, uh, the relationship, the central relationship in the book, which is between Sirius Peabody, our hero, and um, a, a, another physicist, Annabelle Bronte, who's a sister. So you have the Bronte sisters, of course. Um, now, the the point about this relationship, which is which is a, a delicate one. Peabody's about to be sixty. Annabelle is thirty, beautiful, clever, witty, um, and there was a time in writing or and especially on television or movies when these two would have found themselves in bed together um at least if the author was a man uh you were aiming for something slightly more grown up were you uh, there's a sort of elegiac note to the ruminations on on love and age and um and the relationship between them peabody is meant to be a sad sack um someone whose career never quite took off someone whose marriage um, ended in failure, mainly one gathers through his own fault. Um, he suffers not just these kind of personal elements of failure, but he suffers from the male um, failure to to come to terms with the, the, the world as it's changed and, and probably should never have been the way it was anyway, but it's certainly changed. So he's the kind of person who is attracted by looks and figures um, and or a, thinks to, of him. a man, to use the, <laughs> the simple yeah, term. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, men to a large extent are, are, are horrible and stupid and not as intelligent as they think they are, rarely as good-looking or as sprightly as they think they are. And, you know, I I tried to get in this element that he starts off 
spotting her across a room and thinking, oh, you know, there's an attractive-looking young woman. I'll hold my tummy in and I'll go across and be witty. Um, and I did try. I'm not convinced I was 100% successful, but I did try and introduce an element whereby he gets to realize that a friend is more important than a conquest. Um, and, you know, I, I think the elements of the book that are successful or more successful are the dialogue, which, as you said, I took a lot of time over, and his character, just his dawning realization that, you know, there's less time in front of him than behind him. If, if, if there's an element that a critic was to point at me and say, yeah, but you know, she's just an ideal character. You've just, you know, it's just wish fulfillment and fantasy of a person your age, you know, here's this bright and beautiful and witty and, you know, sexy and flirty, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I plead guilty. You know, it, it's the first time I've managed to write a book that has gone through a process of editing. Um, I sent it to a number of publishers when I'd finished it, and I got a number of offers of contracts. So I, I felt reasonably satisfied that people who don't know me and aren't related to me um, were actually saying, yeah, you know, we'll publish it. It's just that most of the publishers wanted money from me to publish it, whereas, <laughs> you know, they're called partnerships now. Um, you pay a couple of grand and they pay a couple of grand and it gets published, whereas the one who did publish it uh, didn't want money from me. And so that was such a huge, you know, um, sense of satisfaction that somebody that I didn't know had actually read it and quite liked it, that, you know, I had no issue going with her. But like I said, going back, circling back after a long digression, you know, if somebody said, um, you know, you can't write women characters because you're not a woman, I, I actually have to agree, A, that I'm not a woman, and B, that I maybe can't write um, women characters. One of the reasons it's in the first person and I toyed with the idea of doing it in the third person, was that I doubted my ability to actually do a chapter that was based on a, a lady and get it right. I, equally, the reason that the police play a fairly minor role in this is I doubted my ability to actually capture the kind of forensics and the processes that that the police, especially nowadays, with all the all the technology technology they have at their disposal, you know, I just don't know enough about it. So I thought to have this kind of random amateur lumbering around and putting his foot in it, and get, I mean, he gets it wrong. I mean, you've got to realize this: he does apply quantum physics to the mystery, and um, basically is wrong on every occasion. Well, you. you <laughs> 
You say that, uh, you know, you, you're worried about writing women. I think the way you've addressed that is that you give um, a lot of sparkling dialogue. To the, we, we talked about the dialogue earlier on. Uh, there are some very good gags. You, with with uh, Sirius and Annabelle, you've gone sort of Nick and Nora Charles, haven't you? Sort of screwball comedy, um, glittering dialogue. There's one a bit, I think somebody, she says to him, oh, you should go on one of those holidays where you meet similar people. And he says, like Club Med. And she says, oh, I was thinking more saga. And you've got a lot of... Uh, this sort of uh, barbed interplay, which you, which I think actually solves your problem of whether and it's not it's not up to you to decide whether you can write women. Other people have to <laughs> have to judge it. Yes, but um, I, that's basically how you've you've uh, you've addressed it. I'll tell you the other. I thought the the other best character, and I, I liked all the characters, but the other best character is the first victim, uh, Selena Moriarty. I loved her. She's she's uh, she's abrasive, dishonest. Uh, she's professionally unethical. Um, sexually, she's, I don't know, polymorphically promiscuous. Is she, is she based on somebody you know, Chris? <laughs> um, well, it's, they're all autobiographical, obviously. Okay. Uh, oh, she's you. The, the, um, a, a number of colleagues have asked, are the characters based on people you know? Answer, absolutely, unequivocally, No. The only character that is remotely resembles anyone I know is the main character, the, the first person narrator. And there are profound differences between my own autobiography and Sirius Peabody's autobiography. I mean, the point about him is that it's my voice through his character and that's plain to everybody who's ever spoken to me and he looks i assume a bit like me you know but um i don't know any of the others the others are all completely fictitious just conjured up out of my imagination before we uh, finish i want to i want to just reference uh, i thought my favorite joke not necessarily the funniest but my favorite joke in the book is uh, a, a gag about schrodinger's cat where peabody suggests that uh, until the crime is solved, the suspects are both guilty and innocent at the same time. The suspects are sort of uh, smeared out across across the various statuses. And I, I, I thought that was, that sort of, that stands for, it's, you know, it's almost a, a, syn a synecdoche for the whole, <laughs> whole book. Um, I, 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 but finally, I just wanted to put that in. Finally, um, I... Does anybody ever write a book these days without thinking, you know, what would it like look like on television or in the movies? Uh, have you cast it? Do you know who's going to play what? No, I haven't thought of that. I haven't thought of that. The 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 to me the you know the most interesting part of it is. I mean, decoherence. I came across the word decoherence reading one of the quantum physics books. And I read the various definitions of decoherence, and it just seemed to me such a fantastic description of people's lives in the microcosm bumping into the macrocosm of events that, and, and, and being swallowed up by them. I came across the word entanglement, and I just thought, what a great word, you know, because 
it has this element of relationship and mystery, but equally, it's a quantum physics term for what happens to to two particles at, at a great distance. You know, the words entropy. I mean, what a concept to describe our lives, um, and yet it's a quantum physics basically concept. Concept. Peabody, Peabody says at one point in the book, entropy, that's what this is all about. And of course, yes, it, is. it is. Our experience of life, our experience of the flow of time is basically what entropy is about. And as you get older, as I undoubtedly am, you think so much about the passage of time and the flow of time we've tended to see it like i said at the beginning in liberal arts terms oh it's a river along it we flow or it's the sea or it's something that's that's visual and artistic and um expressionistic in that way but in actual fact the the language and the lexicon of of science is there for us and and not enough people use it and and that's what i was trying to do i was trying to use life as a metaphor for science and um whether i succeeded or not is up to you know the great public <laughs> well in this case me and i really enjoyed it <laughs> so We've been talking about Decoherence, a quantum whodunit by Chris Kirkham, which is published by Wallace Publishing. If you want a hard copy like I've got, it's £8.99, but you get an ebook on Amazon for £1.99. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.